welcome to episode three of Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito. Thank you for listening. My guest today is University of Missouri percussion professor Megan Arns, and I will get you to that interview shortly. Regarding my own position, I do not have anything new to report at this point. Most of the principals involved in the decision-making have been out of town, as have most of the faculty. So, starting next week, we have band camp and faculty institute and a whole lot of other stuff to get the year started. So, perhaps by next podcast, I will have more to report. At this point, still a lot of limbo. Check us out next time for that information. So, when my interview with Megan Arns began on May 10th, 2016, and continued the following day, when we ran out of time the first day, Megan had just gotten off the phone with the then Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Mizzou. She had just found out that her teaching position, which had been a temporary visiting assistant line was turned into a tenure track position effective immediately so she was in really good spirits when we did the interview as opposed to normal megan which is i guess solidly good spirits she had taken over the position two years ago when julia Gaines, her predecessor had become director of the school of music at mizzou And she had delayed the start of the interview a few hours because she had been in negotiations all day to get her new position. At a very young age, Megan's percussion career is off and running. This includes concert, drumline, fife and drum corps, solo and chamber performing, steel band, orchestral playing, and ethnomusicology. She spent a year teaching and performing in Amman, Jordan, a topic which is covered at length in the middle of this interview. In addition to her teaching, she's an editor for PAS's Rhythm Scene magazine, which is Percussive Arts Society, the main organization for percussion, and she is the co-host for the weekly video podcast At Percussion, along with percussionists Casey Cangalosi, Laurel Black, and Ben Charles. We cover a whole host of topics in this interview, including growing up in the St. Louis area, her hectic travel schedule, working on a podcast, being on the job market, and teaching through the public difficulties of the 2015-2016 year at Mizzou. I'm disappointed to report that we do not talk about her scuba diving license, which I only found out about through listening to her own podcast, because that would have been fun. One last embarrassing note before we get to the interview. The first half of the interview was accidentally recorded through the computer audio and not through the plug-in microphone that I typically record with. I thought I had plugged it in, and it was on, but the computer never actually acknowledged the microphone Uh, to get started. This probably won't be that noticeable until I laugh, at which point it sounds like I told Megan to hold on, grab the microphone, 
shoved it up to my face, and then did my typical trumpet laugh. So I apologize for that. It sounds ridiculous. But uh, that's what happens. So I didn't notice that until we started day two and the plugin worked and then the audio levels were completely different and made more sense than they did the first day. But when I record my interviews, I hold the computer either in my lap or on the table right next to me because I'm reading questions frequently from my computer. So I'm just letting you know that that happens first half. So here it is, my interview with Megan Arnes. Megan Arnes, thank you for talking with me today. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, the first thing I actually wanted to know was... Um, about getting this job. What was the process like? What was your interview like? What did what was the program doing at this point? Mm -hmm. Well, um, this position became open because Dr. Julia Gaines was mm -hmm. the percussion teacher here for 18 years and she was promoted to be the director of the School of Music two years ago. And when she went to that, um, it was a you know, she had no teaching as part of her load then, so they decided to hire another full-time percussion teacher. Um, I saw the job posted uh, two summers ago, and I said, oh my gosh, my home state, and I was just finishing my coursework at Eastman where I was doing my doctorate, and I thought, oh, this is perfect timing, and I was applying for lots of jobs, and... Um, so I sent in... So even without being done, yeah. You were applying for jobs. Yes. And why I was, was that? In my last year of coursework, mm -hmm. I started applying. Because at once you're, you know, through the majority of the degree, it's okay to start applying. Even if it's just for experience, just to start seeing. Is that encouraged there? That's encouraged. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if it's just sending, getting your materials together and seeing what happens. Um, I had, I think one phone interview maybe that year when I was still doing the coursework and I learned so much from it. So it was a really good experience to start doing that before I was completely done. However, it is very hard to have a full-time job and finish your degree. So you're still even, in the process. I'm still of that. in the process now, mm -hmm. um, but hope to finish next year, plan to finish next year. So, so yeah, I applied for this position and they uh, asked for more materials about a week later and then about a week later, um, they invited me to come down for an interview. I think I had a phone interview also in there. And it was all just a one-day interview process. I played a recital. I did a, um, a master you play class on it? with some of the students. Did you do con? Uh, I did con. Mm -hmm. Con variations. Um, I played some Carter Canaries. Uh, on the snare drum, I played, I think, Delacruz 9 and Tompkins Walking Down Coolidge. Um, I also played some Mbira. Mm, a thumb mm -hmm. piano from Zimbabwe that I play. Uh, in not a traditional tune, but in a, a contemporary piece written by Nathan Davis. And I also played some uh, a Valerie Naranjo Jill transcription, Kirk Rob Lodi. So 
yeah, it was it was a whirlwind of a day, and that was my first on campus interview. I guess I had had part time positions before. It was my first like full time, and yeah, it was exhausting. Lots of meetings and lunch and dinner and meeting with committee members and questions and students, and it was it was quite the experience. How'd you but feel it, after it was? You done? know, it felt really good. I think. Did you sit there and go? I don't, I didn't do that because okay. I, for some reason, whenever I apply to anything or auditioned for something, I hate getting my hopes up. <laughs> I I'm a little bit better about that now, but it was so bad before because, for example, for this, uh, for this job, I mentioned that I applied probably a month before the interview actually happened. So I should, probably should have been practicing my recital then. And then uh, definitely when they asked for more materials, I should have started. But I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't get my hopes up that I'll get an on-campus interview. So then the week before, you know, they they say, you know, you're going to come in in a week. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to practice. Oh, my gosh. Now I don't have enough time, you know. So I've gotten a lot better about that now. If I if I think something's coming up, I'll, I'll get ready in advance. Um, but I did feel really good after the interview. I felt Ju Julie and I connected really well and the committee – and I connected well. It was during the summer, so I didn't meet all the students. I didn't really see the school in action. Um, but I'm from Missouri, and I just remember, you know, I had a recruiting sheet, and she, Julia was, how do you know? How do you know about MPAT? How do you know about it? It's like, I'm from here, mm -hmm. you know? So I think I definitely, I felt really good about that, that I knew the state, I knew the good programs. All of my friends from undergrad, I went to Truman State for my undergrad in Kirksville, Missouri, an hour and a half north of here. And so I, all of my friends from school are the band directors in state in the state now, and a lot of them run very successful programs. So. So you're plugged in. So I'm plugged in, yeah. Even and though you were in it's Rochester. It's like coming home, yeah, exactly. I, I guess I lived out of state for about eight years, mm. three in Tallahassee, three in Rochester, and one in Jordan, seven years. Um. So it's it's been really good to be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where was, uh, when did you, what was the call like when you're like, we're going to give you the position? Yeah, so I was living in Chicago. I had just moved to Chicago that summer mm -hmm. after finishing coursework. My fiance lives there. Mm -hmm. And I was working at Grant Park Music Festival uh, in downtown by the Bean and mm. Pritzker Pavilion. <laughs> and I was teaching this program called Classical Campers. And so we had buses of school kids or campers summer campers coming in from all the parks districts in chicago every day so it was a new group of kids every day and it was usually 60 kids myself and another teacher were would take them off the bus and we'd do a music lesson with them they observe an orchestra rehearsal we take them on a tour of the Lurie gardens that's right there um we have lunch with them and yeah, so I remember it was after class, I think, and I got a call from Columbia, and I was like, I think this is it. I was like, this is Columbia. I have to take this. I ran out, and, you know, Julia, it was Julia, and she gave me the offer, and I was jumping up and down. I said, yes, 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 and she's like, why don't you think about it for 24 hours? <laughs> I didn't tell you the pay yet. <laughs> you may want to slow down. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that was a really good, like, first job experience mm -hmm. I think you know interview process what was your uh, impression of so you knew the programs in the state but when you got here what was your 
what did you take as your impression of the Mizzou program? Yeah, well, I didn't really have much of an idea about the program before. Being at Truman, I think, was a little isolated up north. And I drove through Columbia all the time, and I never stopped. And I think if I would have known there were cool things happening here, um, I don't know. You know, you get wrapped up where and wherever you are, and there just wasn't time. I was doing drum corps, so I always had kind of a destination. I was never um, really looking for things to do, I guess. But, but like, when, I'm, I'm yeah. looking more about when you actually started here. And then here. when I started here, yeah, so I really did not know what to expect. And I think one thing that struck me was the big, very large university campus you know, just tons of Well, you'd been on Florida State. So it it's felt not... like Florida State. Yeah, okay. but it didn't feel like Missouri because my Missouri experience had been smaller schools, right? Right, Such as Truman or my small high school. Mm -hmm. So having this big kind of dynasty in the middle of the state, mm -hmm. I didn't know it existed. So, you know, seeing Furrow Field and going to a football game, it was just giant. You know, I didn't feel like it was in Missouri. And it was really cool to see how the band program, the athletic band program is run here and how um, how many students are in the drum line. At Truman, we, all the percussion majors were in the drum line because if we weren't, who was gonna do it? But here, not many music majors are in the drum line. They'll do it for a year or two years, but it's a very large time commitment. And so yeah. I often recommend them to um, only participate for a year or two so that they can practice and learn other instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that was cool. Um, other impressions, I guess. What'd you think about the, the fact that this, where you, where you're at at the University of Missouri is removed from yeah. the rest of the music department, the bands and the orchestra are here and yeah. the jazz and everything else is on the other yes. side of campus. That's hard. You know, I would say I'm 50, 50. I would say I'm 75, 25 on that. I really wish we were all under the same roof. You know, I don't know a lot of my colleagues because I never see them. And we have a, a very, we have a lot of faculty members who are, are younger and don't have families and we hang out. We hang out. Right, yeah. And uh, that's really fun. So I do have a social life and I get to know faculty members that way. But if I didn't have that, <clears throat> I fear that I wouldn't really know um, many colleagues or other students. So only the ones that pass through this building. So I kind of don't like that, but on the other hand, I kind of like being isolated because we've got our own little percussion suite over here, and we can do our own thing, and no mm. one really bothers us. And yeah. sometimes on a busy day, you know, I don't want to be dealing with other things. I just want to be teaching, and I want to be, you know, in percussion land. So this feels like percussion land. Mm. <laughs> and when it's really cold out, I hate it because <laughs> walking to the fine arts building, which I don't have to do nearly as much as my students. Do, who often have to make three or four trips a day mm. it's a really long cold walk mm -hmm. it's an eight to ten minute walk but on a beautiful day when you have time such as today um, it's nice to be forced to get to walk across campus <laughs> <laughs> yeah great so tell me you grew up in st. Louis yep I grew up in st. Charles and Missouri. you're I know your dad is a professor right he is he's a marketing professor at Lindenwood University and what about your mom my mom is a newly retired first grade teacher. Oh, um, so she so teaching was in your blood. Year, this is her first year of retirement. Yes, <laughs> they're both teachers. My dad was a business um, consultant and a journalist before. For what? Um, he worked for a small journal um, in the St. Charles Post or St. Charles Journal, I guess. 
um, when he was first starting his career, and he's done a lot of different things along the way, including uh, starting his own business, a consulting firm, um, working for other companies, and he got into teaching late in life and found himself to be just kind of naturally good at it, and he had a lot of experience in the field. So, so it was late in life for you too then? What was it? Like, did he start teaching yeah. when you were older? Yes. Okay. Yes. Like yeah. out of the house or? Yeah, I think I was still in the house when he was adjunct, just teaching a couple of classes. And okay. then I think he's been full-time for maybe 15 years now, something like that. So, yeah, about the time when I was leaving for college. So... Yeah, both now both my parents were teachers, and there's a lot of educators and accountants in my family. Actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I accountants, really? Truman, yeah, I started at Truman as an accounting major. My brother's an accountant. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of accountants in our family. We like numbers and stuff. I don't know. But, Actually. yeah. So, you and I, you have a brother, I did. I do. Is that your only sibling? That's my only sibling. Younger or older? Younger, four years younger. Okay. And yeah, where is he? Works, he's in St. Louis. He works for Deloitte. Oh, okay. An, um, audit accountant. Yeah. So it's been cool being close to my family again, too, because I think being away a lot was hard um, for all of us. And, you know, we still talk on the phone a lot. And But it's been really cool being close, and we've kind of kindled a new relationship, you know. You're being, adults being now. Being adults, exactly. Yeah. And so we went to the baseball game on Sunday, Cardinals mm. game, and we do more things together now, which is a lot. And of they fun. can come see you. Yeah, they can on, come to uh, concerts. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. About an hour and a half down the road. It's good. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what uh, were so your your family is not necessarily musically inclined. Right. My mom is a pianist and a clarinetist. She plays in the St. Charles Municipal Band. Take it back. <laughs> And she was a music major for a short time in college and was very involved in her high school band and piano lessons mm-hmm. um, from a young age through high school. So she, we had a piano in the house growing up, and that's definitely what started my interest in music. She would teach pianos out, uh, piano lessons out of the house, mm-hmm. and I was like, I want to do that, I want to do that. And she didn't let me, she didn't teach me mm-hmm. at first, and she kind of let me just mess around and figure it out on my own. How old were you at this point? Uh, four, five, maybe. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure I was like plucking away at the piano mm-hmm. whenever I could reach the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I was a little older, maybe in first or second grade, third grade. I have to ask her if she remembers that. But when she finally let me take lessons, I showed that I could practice and that I would dedicate the time to it. I think that was cool and that meant a lot because I have always kind of had a passion for music and I think you see a lot of kids who start early burn out and I never, it was never like, oh, I have to practice piano, I have to, you know, I never remember hating my music lessons or my practice time. It was always just fun for me. Mm. I think that that was really smart of her to not not force it on me. Yeah. You had an interest. Yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah. It was good. So she, and she so. was so she would teach lessons in the house mm-hmm. while you were growing up. Yeah. Now and so she would teach you, or did you go somewhere else to, t- to well, take lessons? Well, she eventually taught me, but she just made me wait to start teaching to taking lessons with her okay. until she until I could really prove that I would could dedicate the time to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she played clarinet in high school, and I played in a community band throughout high school. 
and um, the same one. Uh, yeah, and so and she wasn't in it at the time. Yeah, and I was like, Mom, you should join this band with me. You could do it. And she's like, oh, I don't know, I don't have time. Maybe later or whatever. So one year we just surprised her and bought her a clarinet for I think Mother's Day or her birthday mm. or something. Awesome. We're like, oh, guess you're joining the community band. <laughs> she practiced and got in like right when I left. Oh, all right. So. There's been an arms in there now. For a consistent <laughs> amount of time. But Is she still doing it? She's still doing it. That's yeah, great. every Thursday night. Did your dad play anything or no? Nothing. <laughs> no, he's not musically inclined at all. But he loves he loves the arts and he's a great grant writer. He wrote he was president of the the fife and drum corps I grew up in for a while, and so he he was very successful at getting grants to fund that core. Um, so he's a big supporter of the arts, but. Not a musician himself. Okay. Did yeah. did he... Um, no, take it back. What was the... Was the... Uh, was What was the first ensemble you were kind of in, in some way? Was it the community band? Was it the Fife... You said Fife and Drum Corps? Yeah. I, it probably would maybe have been the Fife and Drum Corps, which I started in seventh grade. But I think earlier than that, I was... Um, I went to school at a Catholic grade school. Okay. And so we had to go to church a lot. And... I remember that it was less interest. I got so bored sitting in <laughs> sitting in the pew, and it was much more fun to be up on the altar playing recorder or eventually my little bell kit once I joined band. Okay. So I was always playing like in the church band, I guess. Or even what? What kind of music? What was this? Was church Catholic? Music, was yeah. this? Was it? Uh, Hymns. Okay, so I was gonna say, was it? Uh, no, it wasn't like a rock band. So, okay, it wasn't like the. No, 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 no. The no. singer songwriter kind of stuff that I. No, no, no. no. Okay, just church music, but I think that really gave me a good start with sight reading because I was always reading music mm. on the fly. You know, I, I knew the songs from singing them growing up. But, yeah, I think that was so boredom group that helped you boredom helped push me. you. Yeah, I don't have to sit in that pew. I can be <laughs> on the altar. Was the pew at least music. cushioned or no? No. Uh, was it just straight wood? Hard, straight wood. <laughs> oh, I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> So you had a cushion, so the, you had a cushiony chair when you played in the on the altar. I think I had to sit like on the altar. Oh, okay. Not on the altar, sure. but on the stairs. You know, leading that'd be out. weird. That would be really weird. <laughs> <laughs> the pipes of pan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was cushioned. Okay. It was definitely cushioned. I remember. This is very important. It remember? is. Because this will be verified <laughs> later. <laughs> Fact check. <laughs> So you did that, so you did, um, and then you said seventh grade approximately you were doing five. So yeah, that's when I joined the Fife and Drum Corps. Because so what was the, and what is this group? Yeah, like, it's was called it the Lewis and Clark Fife and Drum Corps. Mm -hmm. And it's a Fife and Drum Corps that reenacts the time period of 1804 to 1810. Okay. And signifies the time period when, when Lewis and Clark would have been making their expedition. So even though there wouldn't have been fifers and drummers with Lewis and Clark, it marks that time period, and we wear um, military coats. So we actually wear red because at that time, the musicians wore the opposite color of the soldiers to identify them as the musicians that mm. didn't get shot. So it's holding an instrument is not it's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. Okay. You can't see from that far. Right. Know, so you can see the color of the coat. Yeah. But we were often mistaken for the red coats that we are the British. Really? Yeah. The British are coming. But, you know, actually, we were American. Uh, we, were group at, uh, we were representing the Americans. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, but we often so you didn't drum battle another at Fife and Drum Corps that was British? We did not. That would be, that would be awesome. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I can still make that happen. Yeah. Don't. Come on. Yeah. Don't, don't lose hope. On yeah, this. I won't lose hope. I can, we got the drums now. There, there you see? Yeah. Halfway exactly. there. Yeah. So that was a great experience because I... Well, Where, actually, did you have I, like band in high school or no? Or I, I did have band in high school and I wanted to play the flute. Mm -hmm. Too many flutes. Uh -huh. So my mom was like, why don't you play the bells with your friends, the twins? Mm -hmm. And next year you can play flute. And so I was like, okay, sure. Are these so twins, you're still friends with these people? Not really. We're <laughs> Facebook friends. It's been a long time. And so... I ended up, you know, enjoying percussion and sticking with that, but I still had wanted to learn the flute in some way. Mm -hmm. So when I, we saw this Fife and Drum Corps parade, my dad looked into how, how we could join it when I expressed interest. And so uh, I joined playing the Fife or learned how to play the Fife through that. And then eventually when they learned that I was actually a drummer, <laughs> I started experimenting with the rope tension drums. And eventually I got to the point where I could do, I think I joined the drum line for a while and then, and then I would just swing wherever they needed me if they needed me drummer that day or another fifer um, which was a really cool experience but yeah we got to visit a lot of really cool places went to many historical reenactments mm -hmm. learned a lot about the history met some cool people it was a very unique you know experience how far out so, would you your group go well let's see there was a re reenactment in fort madison iowa we would go to a lot uh, or fort madison was the fort um there's something in Michigan we would go to frequently, something, sometimes we go to Illinois. Around the bicentennial of the Lewis and Clark expedition, we became the official signature core of the bicentennial. Okay. And that was really cool because they were reenacting the whole journey. So it, this was the year before I graduated the core. They did these pre-signature events mm -hmm. and we... Rather than making the journey, they stopped at the big stops along the way, and they invited us to each one. So okay. we played at Monticello, um, Thomas Jefferson's home, where where he met with Lewis and Clark and announced the expedition. Um, that was really cool. That was I think we were on CNN. I almost got frostbite too. I'd never felt like <sighs> nauseous for being so cold. Oh wow! Because we were playing Fife, you know, mm -hmm. and it was the middle of winter. Yeah, it was. So cold. And those those suits aren't as insulated as they look. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just your fingers were oh, exposed, sure. right? Because you yeah. can't. We had gloves where you could pull it over, mm -hmm. but while you're playing, you can't do that. Right. I think I almost had frostbite. Uh, <laughs> but that was. We can't experience. prove that, but that's how it felt. I still have all my fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, and then we went all the way out to to the west coast, um, Lewiston, Clarkston, Idaho, mm. uh, uh, Lewiston, Washington, Clarkston, Idaho. Or vice versa. I don't remember. Lewiston, Idaho, Clarkston, Washington. I think that's what it was. You said them both ways. So I'm sure you cover your bases. Yeah, fact check. Yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. And then the next year I graduated and I was so bummed because then they actually made the whole expedition. And our, our group still just went flew to the signature places. But, okay. But the boats were sailing on the river. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really cool. They replicated the boats and they had a whole crew that that made the journey again. Mm. It was very cool. So, yeah. And we actually traveled to Germany one summer, too. We were the sister city of St. Charles. One of them is Ludwigsburg, Germany. Okay. And so there's a sister city celebration, and they sent us as their delegate group, like their cultural delegate. Um, so that was really 
really great experience. My first experience traveling abroad, for sure. Yeah. 16. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so it was a good experience, too. But the, being in the Spike and Drum Corps really helped me. I think I had a hard time in high school, and the band program I was in was not very good. I transferred high schools. Mm. So this was something that was very stable. Yeah. I had very close friends in it, and it was musically satisfying for me. So So you were was, moving, you were trying to find a place that was to land, yeah. just personally. Yeah. And that was a struggle, apparently. Yes, it was. And that, that Spike and Drum Corps really provided some stability and I mm -hmm. just I always was it like a band like because of band programs or was it just because of the high school itself or like yeah well the first high school I went to was a private Catholic high school mm -hmm. and there was not really much of a music program and I think that really bummed me out because sure I, I, that's what I like to do mm -hmm. and I was just so bummed did you know um, that well no you said you were you were not you didn't go as a music major originally right so but you I weren't even loved doing music mm -hmm. you know even though I didn't know that that was going to be my career right um, but yeah, I, I transferred to the public high school halfway through high school because they had a better band program. Mm -hmm. It was still very small. What, what high school um, is this? St. Charles High. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so that Fife and Drum Corps really was was great for me. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, so how did you, so how did the rest of high school progress? I mean, was it all right at that point or was it, were you still like trying to figure it out? It was out? way better because I had started drum corps at that point. Okay. With? Um, with the Colts Drum and Bugle Corps. Okay. Yeah, I went up there and auditioned my junior year of high school, and that was a huge turning point for me because mm -hmm. I I really just opened up a lot musically and personally. Mm -hmm. and had you, what did you, had you seen, like, DCI, like, on TV I or something like that? I saw PBS. Yeah, I, like, I, I remember those. Yeah. yeah. And my private... They used to show, like, the whole thing, too. Yeah. And then for some years, they put it on ESPN, and they'd show some... I mean, they'd show, like, the top three or something right, but you full. But you couldn't see, like, all 12 shows or whatever. And I remember the mm -hmm. PBS. They'd show the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. It was yeah, great. I remember that, yeah, so clearly, being like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so my teacher, actually, in the Fife and Drum Corps told me about about it too he said you can go audition the closest one is you know in, in Dubuque Iowa mm -hmm. which is still pretty far away and so my dad drove me up there to a camp mm -hmm. and luckily I made it because there were a lot of vets that year I think I was one of how old were you three this rookies point? I was 17 okay so I grew so much that summer because I, I had all these guys to look up to mm -hmm. you know and I was literally totally, and figuratively I'm sure yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> But I was so, I didn't know what I was doing. And, mm -hmm. um, and all these, like, college, probably, probably a lot yeah, of college, they were in college. And you're like, oh, just a little. Yes. <laughs> Actually, and I, these people are some of the top educators in Missouri now, too. Mm -hmm. So we've reconnected. I just, who was, uh, who our was section with section leader, um, Tim Lindenbart, is at Lindbergh High School now. Okay. And so I just went over to his school last week. Um, Kent Lineberry mm -hmm. was teaching at that point. Yeah. Now he's going to be at Blue Springs High School. Yeah. Um, Dan Harbaugh um, name sounds familiar, was but... in that group, and he teaches in Mount Vernon, mm -hmm. Missouri. Abby and I, um, Abby, Abby Rehart. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, our large ensemble coordinator here at MU, also a percussionist. We went down and played a, a double concerto with their their band. Oh great! Um, Dan had had commissioned a band piece for two with two percussionists, and we played that. Um, yeah, so I am very close with a lot of them still mm -hmm. and, yeah and I look but you're a 17 year old yeah. who's probably like 
this is you probably your mind is just my, being blown all blown, the time. And my hands hurt. Rub is for implication too, so we're just yeah chop building, and I had no idea that. It what were you playing? Hard. Um, we switched on and off things there, so I think I was on vibraphone and okay. marimba. You were on pit. You were in front. I was in the front ensemble. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you ever march anything else, or did you stay in? Nope, front ensemble. Yeah. Okay. There and then at um, Santa Clara Vanguard as well, and then I went on to teach the front ensemble at Boston Crusaders later. Okay. Yeah, lots of drum floor. So did that? Was that kind of the the step that got that kind of did that help you like say, I may want to do this when I get to college? Like, or I mean, what kind of how did it progress? Yeah, you from know, there? it's hard. I wish I could find one of my journals from that time or something because I don't think I ever. There's your fact checking. I know. <laughs> like, journal. <laughs> Find all your crushes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cutouts of Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> saw Titanic seven different times in the theater. <laughs> oh man, rough time. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> A lot of growing up. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think you know Mike Bump at Truman called me and recruited me to go to Truman and I mean just you know had a very took the time to have a really nice conversation with me yeah and I think I'd gone up he is about the nicest person he's so nice that exists in our field yeah right? he's amazing he's yeah. just so genuine and thoughtful and yeah. totally he's agree. just a really good person yeah yeah so um once I talked to him on the phone I was like oh I'm going there I didn't even look at any other schools mm. um I think I got did you to, visit like, yeah, I think I had been to like a high school honor band thing up there, okay. some kind of like our all juniors program that we have here, and I liked it, and applied, um, and then did go up there for an audition, mm -hmm. and I think he had called me before that or something, we had applied, and then he called me, something like that, but I was also auditioning to be in the Lewis and Clark, uh, be in the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps at this time. Okay. So I think I was also like dealing with the craziness of senior year slash trying to get ready for this old guard audition slash mm. like, am I going to go to college and for what? Right. So I'm lucky that it all worked out because I didn't apply anywhere else. Um, mm. I just applied to that one school and it ended up being a really good fit for me, I think, for undergrad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where did we, how did we get there? What were we talking about? Uh, you, you were talking about the, the summer and I was trying to figure out how you got oh, towards yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. doing music. Yeah, and when I started at Truman, I was, I was um, gosh, I, don't, I think I was like pre-med for a second. And I was definitely... I was pre-med for a year. Yeah? <laughs> Undergrad, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, have such high aspirations. And it's like, I mean, that's great. Some people can do that. But yeah. I think that's cool. But also when you're 18, you're like, I can do all these things and the yeah. world is your oyster. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm going to be here for eight years. I got to drop something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I Chemistry. think it was accounting. Oh. Yeah, right. For me, it was calculus. I was like, I'm out. Yeah, I did accounting and music until I took calculus, and I think I dropped it down mm -hmm. to a business minor or something. Uh -huh. And I did you tell your dad like, hey, this? They, what did did they? They never bugged me. I mean, they just always let me do my thing. That's great. Always. And I would just be like, I'm doing this. And they're like, okay, cool. Proud of you. And they're just so supportive. You know, they come like, up oh. to concerts a lot. Because I hate math. Yeah. <laughs> Drop out. <laughs> no. But they were supportive and came to concerts. And so I just had a great percussion experience at Truman. And mm -hmm. I think by the time I got to my senior year, 
and um, Dr. Bump said, you know, you should look at grad schools. Mm. And I was like, okay, how do I do that? Like, what do I do? And he gave me a mm. list of schools to look into, and he gave me, like, shoot for some really high ones. Here's some some still really great music schools, mm -hmm. and then here are some backup schools or something. And I had no idea. I mean, I try to remember this all the time with my students because sure. they don't necessarily know where – where everyone's teaching and where right. places are to go and for what and what's out there and what they have the chance of getting into. And sure. I always appreciate that. Dr. Bump was like, here's what you, you know, look into all of these, but here, here are some places to start. And mm -hmm. otherwise I wouldn't have known to look at any of these places. Well, what was the, um, backing up a little bit, what was the, what would you call the emphasis of Truman as yeah. a program? I think it's just overall percussion. You know, we do a lot of percussion ensemble. There's a great steel band there now, but that didn't exist when I was there. Um, we did drumline. You know, we come out, I feel like we came out of there very well-rounded. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, participate in all aspects of the program, which it's easy to do since it's a small school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, always on drumline all four years, always in percussion ensemble all eight semesters, doing drum corps in between. Um Started getting into some new music a little mm -hmm. bit while I was there, meeting some composers, playing some new stuff. How big of a, how big of, is the studio? Um, or how big was it when you were there? I don't know. I mean, I would imagine it doesn't feel. Because there's no, is there, is there, there's not a grad program there, is there? There is. There's like a master's in ed. Okay. But he didn't have master's students. He didn't have master's performance students. Okay. Or you could maybe do a master's in performance and ed or something. I, I think but, that's right. I don't, but. Yeah. But there wasn't, there were not always a lot of grad students to look up to for sure. Mm -hmm. While I was there at least. I yeah. remember there was one, Doris, um, who's doing great stuff now. But yeah, not always guaranteed to be a percussionist, you know. All the, the band TAs. Mm -hmm. the, and then. Ed people. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe 15 people, 12, 15. Okay. It was maybe a little smaller than here. They seem to be about the same size now. How was the studios? How, what about facilities? How was it? Beautiful. They just got a new building, uh, Ophelia Parish. I don't know how old it was when I got there, but it wasn't, I think it was less than a decade. Mm -hmm. Really nice. Um, all under the same roof, had like just a little like percussion hallway. Nice freight elevator going down to the hall. Yeah, it was a really good place to start. And, you know, I felt like I had the run of the place mm -hmm. after after I felt comfortable there. And I think that was really important. How long do you think it took for you to get to that point of just comfort? Yeah, maybe a year. Yeah. Then you kind of like had your own friends. and you Yeah. Kind of... Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's easy when you're on the drum line with all those guys because sure. – you know, you see each other so often and yeah. usually end up hanging out before, after, during. Mm -hmm. So I felt I liked college a lot. Mm -hmm. I felt very at home and comfortable in college. And yet you managed to miss my recital. I don't know how I did that. <laughs> There's no way I would have missed that. I didn't miss anything. I didn't. Except my thing. I feel That's like it, you might have not been, you might have been there in a different year. It was 2006. It was fall of 2006. Definitely there. There was, I know that there was another concert going on that night, and I don't know. Also, if, I mean, it might have been in a drum corps camp because it was fall of 2006. I was yeah. marching. Mm, it was sometime in the middle no, of the week. I, I don't even remember. 
I was done with drumcore at that point. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I would not have missed a percussion event, though. Yeah. I'll check in with, I'll fact check that with Dr. <laughs> Right. Look up the date on my calendar. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. All right. So you're at, so you get information and now you're starting to look at grad schools. Mm -hmm. And so you end up at Florida State, but like what other, what other programs were you kind of yeah. looking at at that um, point? I, let's see. I applied to like six or seven schools or something. And I think I got in everywhere. But I had to send a pre-screening to Northwestern, and I didn't get an audition there. And okay. I think I was so bummed, because yeah. Burrett had come that semester, too. And he was like, you should audition okay. Northwestern. I was like, I sent a tape, and I didn't get an audition. And I was, like, devastated. Yeah. Um, but I got into Florida State and Eastman. Mm -hmm. and oh, you got into Eastman yeah. at that point. Okay. But that was the year JB was retiring. Okay. Was retiring, and so... Um, you know, it's expensive to go there, and I think it was it was risky not knowing mm -hmm. who the next teacher would be, and it would be a time of great transition. And yeah. So I decided to go to Florida State, where it was, you know, fully funded assistantship. What um, was your great program? What was your your assistantship? What you? Um, I was teaching undergrad lessons. I started a second percussion ensemble. While I was there. I taught percussion methods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of teaching duties. That's great. Yeah. How many uh, were there? Other are there other assistantships there? There are. There's a drumline one. There's an instrument storage inventory person. <laughs> and I think that, that one, was I it. I think that maybe there was three. Okay. I think there were three, and then sometimes grad students would come and do other things. But I think there were three specific percussion mm -hmm. reserved for percussion. What? Uh, how was? Um, parks at that point i've heard various i i here's what i because i've never i've never i think i may have talked to him once and i know mm -hmm. who he is obviously mm -hmm. but i do remember that so there was a, another conversation with other people and someone who was recently there said and he's like wait you're saying that i have the calm down dr parks that was that he's like are you sure because he's pretty intense yeah. so anyway what was was he's he pretty intense um, he was just getting into recording at that point too, mm -hmm. and so we. And also, when I arrived there, we had they had one a call for tapes for mm -hmm. PASIC. So my okay. first semester in grad school was preparing for PASIC, um, yeah, which seven? was so intense. Oh seven, yeah. Uh, uh, that's Columbus. Is that right? Oh yeah, was uh, Ohio State also there? Oh, no, no, no. I'm oh, saying oh, that's oh, where oh, PASIC oh, was. I think oh yeah, yeah, seven yeah. is Columbus. No, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was very intense preparation process for that. Mm. Uh, what yeah. was the program for that one? Because I may have, See, I'm wondering, I probably went to that concert. Wood, Palisar. Uh, we played a, an arrangement of Lupa Tango for percussion ensemble. Mm -hmm. um, what else did we do? Did you guys do the we hollow? Did a David Skidmore piece called In Contact. We did not do the hollow. That was their next concert. Okay. I, guess, I remember that one. That might have been 12. Maybe. I was in Jordan. I remember I missed that concert. It might have been 11. Because you can apply for four years, right? Yeah, I think that's so right. I think they got 11. And they'll be at Ford again this year, I guess. 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your first semester there is like, it's it's doubly... In it was so intense. <laughs> it was so intense. Was that an adjustment was from... Oh, yes. <laughs> it was very adjustment. You know, Dr. Bump is very... Um, 
not he does not yell ever. <laughs> yeah, right. I can't even imagine. I mean, they're just two completely different teaching styles, and I appreciate mm-hmm. and learn so much from both styles of mm-hmm. people. And I, I always, I think that, you know, especially last year, in my first like full, full time year of teaching, I was felt myself constantly channeling all, all of these teachers. Sure. You know, I was like, this is the Dr. Bump approach. Yeah, I need these little parks here. Mm-hmm. And I really sounded like Burrett there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, oh, there's some Megan sprinkled in. You know, <laughs> this is, you know, I'll mend this with some Megan. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I remember all those teaching styles vividly and I think they're all effective, you know. Mm-hmm. Did you see, uh, I, because I, what I've been told is how intense Dr. Parks is, did you, were there people that, did he have, um, you know, kids who just kind of like fell out of the program because it was yeah, I, like more so than maybe other grads for sure that got put on the probation <laughs> list, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, the, it was intense for undergrads for yeah. sure. Yeah, and grad students too, but. I, there are a lot of success stories out of that too. You know, some sure. didn't make it, but some like really turn their act around and mm-hmm. are successful yeah. now, you know, because of that. So where were we? Florida State. You had finished. So you finish at Florida State and yeah. you, is, you go right to Eastman? Yes. I went to Jordan that summer, but I basically went straight from. Well, you did that, that was that, at that point? That was the first time I went to Jordan, it was just a summer. Okay. And then and I was, was there for the a summer. And what was the purpose for that? Um, I was teaching at the National Music Conservatory in Mont Jordan and okay. playing in the Mont Symphony Orchestra, which was attached, the, the two entities were, um, were tied together. We rehearsed in the conservatory and a lot of the instructors at the conservatory had joint contracts playing with the orchestra. Okay. So I was subbing for um, a friend of mine, Tim Brocious. Wait, so how did you, yeah, how did you even Yeah, so that? random. He was looking for a sub because he was coming back for a summer festival that he go, he teaches at. Mm-hmm. And, and how did you know Tim? Well, it was kind of random because I met him when I was a gra- when I was auditioning at the Hart School of Music for when I was doing master's auditions. Okay. And his grad students. That's in Pennsylvania. And yeah, in no, in um, Hartford, Connecticut. Okay, yeah, all right. And um, Ben Toth, the teacher there. Yeah, yeah. Ben Toth has his grad students sitting on the auditions. So Tim was there, and I met him there. However, Tim had also studied with John Parks at another point. I think at Samford University, maybe Dr. Parks' first job. Okay. And so he knew him. Um, and when he was looking for a sub, he contacted Dr. P and said, hey, do you have any graduate students who would be interested in this? Mm-hmm. And um, I was totally interested. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was how I knew Tim. He was looking for a sub, and that was the same. He went back for that next year and then decided to take a sabbatical position, mm-hmm. asked if I was interested in coming for the full year. Okay. And Eastman was very supportive of it. They let me take a leave of absence. Okay. And so it was fine. Yeah. And so that's when I left for the whole year. Then I went back at another point and did some research for, for another summer after that. But they went, so the year was what, when? 
This would have been 2010, the summer of. Okay. And then I guess the academic year 11 to 12. Okay. Yeah. Were you, um, were you at that point, um, I saw it because you have a master's from Eastman as well, right? Yes, I have a master's was, in was that musicology. At, was that after that or was that? No, I did those two degrees simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. And actually when I went back to do my research in Jordan, it was for, it was my thesis for the ethnomusicology degree. Mm. So, um, I can't remember if I decided to do the master's already that first year, but, um, yeah, it was all kind of happening at the same time, simultaneous. Did, uh, what was the, what was the differences between being there for the summer versus being there for the whole year? Yeah, well, yeah, for the summer I was more of a temporary, you know, I was a sub. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was a kind of a sub, a sabbatical replacement um, the next time. But it was different being there for a full season versus being there in the summer. Um, and I guess also in the summer there were summer camps, so I was teaching a lot younger. I was teaching younger students. Okay. Um, I had a couple, but the the, the the college wasn't in session. There was some summer sessions, smaller, but um, it wasn't in full full force really. Okay. The conservatory at that time. Nor was the orchestra, really. I mean, there are definitely things happening. I was busy, but um, it kind of felt like everyone was on break a little bit. So mm-hmm. during the year, it was more intense, um, a lot more going on. What were your um, duties while you were there? Yeah, so I was teaching, let's see. I had private students, or students to the conservatory. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were collegiate students. Others were people who were just paying to take lessons at the conservatory. So the ages ranged from five to like 60. Okay. So I had older students, younger students, college students. Um, I also taught a harmony class. Mm-hmm. Um, I started a percussion ensemble. Um, and then we had orchestra rehearsals every, almost every evening. Mm-hmm. So basically I'd teach all day, practice in there when I could, and then orchestra rehearsals at night. So it was pretty busy. Were you Tiffany or were you? Tiffany. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, what was the, what's the makeup of the group that you were playing in? Yeah. Instrumentation wise or, no, or the, ethnicity? No, nationality. Yeah. So this was so interesting. There were people from all over the world in this orchestra and so many languages spoken. So there were some from Arab countries, there were Jordanians, Palestinians, um, Syrians, because the Syrian civil war had just started, so some people were already fleeing Syria. So we had some people um, there because of that. Um, there's also a large refugee population of Iraqis. Okay. So there were our conductor was was Iraqi. Um, that was mostly it from the Arab countries, but there were Europeans. Um, let's see, we had people from Germany. Eastern Europe, also Czech Republic, um, where else? South America, there was someone there from Colombia, someone from South Korea, someone from Taiwan, and a couple of Americans. So, and there were Russians too. So, at any given point, you could be here, you could hear like four languages being spoken Mm -hmm. because the conductor spoke, he would mostly speak in English Mm -hmm. during rehearsals. However, I, and that was kind of the general policy, like, speak English, don't try to hide anything, don't, you know, just like, 
yeah. be diplomatic and say you have to be able to speak and understand English to play in this orchestra. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, and not even necessarily, but just that was the instructions were given in English. However, sometimes he would break into Arabic, of course, with, with um, Jordanians if he was co- giving comments directly to a Jordanian. Um, or Russian, because he did his schooling in Russia. So there are some Russians, and so yeah, he would do that. And what else was he speaking? I guess he knew a little Spanish. Maybe that was it. Yeah, so it was really impressive Mm. that he could could speak all these languages and communicate very fluently in all of them. And I love that part about it too, just hearing all these different languages and different styles of communication. And mm-hmm. it's really an international experience for sure, not just from the Middle Eastern or Arabic side, but a global experience. Hmm. What, uh, if 11 and 12, was that the Arab Spring yeah. time? So, what would, I don't, was Jordan involved in that? Yeah, I think the Arab Spring, was it happening? I think it was that spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jordan, you know, there were, there was fear that, you know, Jordan would also fall. But people love the king. Most people love the king. Um, and things did get a little bit crazy while I was there. Such However, as, uh, what? Such as? Well, I mean, I remember them saying that, well, first of all, we were taking in a lot of refugees because the Syrian civil war had just started. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of um, people coming into the country. And this is placing a burden on Jordan because do we let them into the schools, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. we wanted to be, Jordan wanted to be the country that left their doors open for, for the Syrians. For sure, they have a great relationship with them. I mean, well, I mean, they want to support their neighbors. However, it was a lot of people coming in. So they were getting money from UNESCO, but it still was hard because you were coming into the schools and it's public education. And mm-hmm. so it was just really, play- Jordan's already also already a very poor country. And so um, it was it was really tough economically for them. Mm-hmm with all these extra people. Yeah. Um, did it affect your teaching or your school or what you did at all? Or No, it didn't really affect... I mean, I had... I, I um, became really close friends with a couple of Syrians. Okay. Um, partially because they were my neighbors for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, yeah. Where were you... So where were you living when you were there? Yeah, I just lived in an apartment. Okay. By yeah. yourself? No. Well, at first I lived with um, the flute player in the orchestra. She was German. Mm-hmm. No, at first I lived in this pretty bad apartment downtown above a pet store. In Jordan, they 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 kind of arrange things based on what they're selling. So, like in a mall, for example, here in the states, mm-hmm. if there are four pet stores, right, they would be spread out in different places of the mall. But in Jordan, they would be all next to each other. Uh-huh. So this is the case downtown too. And there was like it was like the pet store street. Yeah. So you wake up and go outside, and there's just like barking and. <laughs> birds and uh-huh. you know it was so weird so I moved into a place um above one of these and it was just really dirty and the landlord was kind of crazy and um it was a little bit sketchy so sure. I ended up moving in with the German flute player so you're um, by yourself in that apartment no I was with a roommate from New Zealand okay yeah 
I just found him on expat Craigslist. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that what it's called? I don't or, remember, uh, but it was so, it was something like that. <laughs> uh, or maybe it was just Craigslist, and there were a lot of expats on it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that was interesting. Uh, but nice guy. It was good to, to meet him, and he introduced me to a lot of sites and stuff, so that was really mm-hmm. good. And then I moved in with two French girls for the summer that I was there after that. Um, they were not musicians. They were there for different things. and The same thing like expat yeah. Craigslist? Yeah, same thing. Up. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, apartments the whole time. No heat in any of them. There was always, like, um, gas heaters, you know, so you okay. had to actually, like, go get your propane tank refilled oh, okay. and light it. Mm-hmm. It was so dangerous. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you fall asleep with it on, it could just... Oh, yeah. It's bad. <laughs> did it's you? scary. I didn't, I don't okay. think. Maybe I napped. Well, you're here, so... But I did you, not die. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't die. I'm happy to report. Fact check. Yeah, fact check that. <laughs> Pinch. Yeah. So, Yeah. It was a really, it was a great experience. Oh, and anyway, these Syrian friends that I had just, you know, I grew so close to them and mm-hmm. to see what they were going through and to hear their daily struggles and their families that were still in Syria, mm-hmm. it was heartbreaking. I mean, I it was bet. absolutely heartbreaking. It was so, 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 so sad. Um, and both of them, have, well, one's still in Jordan, one's in Germany now, but I haven't caught up with them in a little while. But as last I knew, their families were still in Syria, which is hard to imagine that anyone is even alive in Syria. (laughs) You know, it's just been a horrible, horrible, basically genocide, you know, really bad. But I love meeting these people from all around the world. I thought it was, that was a really great experience for me. Mm, For sure. Mm Mm-hmm. The, um, what, did you get to travel while you were there? I I did, not as much as I would have liked. I would have imagined traveling more frequently and to more places, but it was actually hard to get places because I couldn't go to Syria. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to, let's see, Jordan is bordered by Syria, Could definitely couldn't go there. Lebanon, I did go there twice mm-hmm. or three times. Um, Palestine, Israel, I did go there numerous times, visited Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, what about uh, uh, Turkey? Turkey is a little further away. I didn't get to go. I would still love to go to Turkey, mm-hmm. yeah. I always tried to make my flights so I could like fly into Turkey, and it never, never, never worked, worked out. out. Have a layover there or something. Yeah. Um, but then Iraq, and I think that's it. Okay. So I considered visiting Iraq and decided not to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I went to like I said, I went to Jerusalem a bunch, Lebanon, mm-hmm. and I traveled all around Jordan, of course. Oh, and Saudi Arabia to the south. I didn't go there. Um, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of time off because we would, the way things were structured in Jordan, it wasn't the Friday or the Saturday, Sunday weekend. Gosh, I haven't thought about this in so long. So we would work, what is it? We'd usually have Friday and Saturday off. We would work on Sunday, but sometimes we'd work on Saturday too, on Friday too. I guess the Sabbath was Saturday. Gosh, I haven't thought about this in so long. That's crazy. But, yeah, so I didn't have a whole lot of time off. I would okay. have liked to travel more. And on, you know, break, 
I did have one break over Christmas. Mm-hmm. I would have traveled then, but I wanted to come home and see my family. Yeah. So was that your chance? Christmas. Was that your one time you did it? Was Christmas? Yeah, I came home. Did they Christmas. get to go over or no? No, they didn't. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have. Rob came. Okay. Um, and my best friend Amy, percussionist, also came. and She did a percussion ensemble concert with us. Mm. Um, and I had two other friends that visited who were living in Europe at the time. Okay. So it was so easier was... to get there. Yeah. So it was cool to have visitors and yeah. show people around. Yeah. How was the food? Amazing. Yeah? Yeah. Um, you know, lots of Mediterranean-style foods, so lots of hummus, mm. baba ganoush. Um, I love Arabic street food. Uh, mm-hmm. There's lots of, you know, pastries with meats in them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the traditional dish in, dishes, one is called mansif. That's the most popular Jordanian national dish. And it's like a white, or it's like yellow rice with... A meat that's soaked in a yogurt sauce okay. that has been sitting in the sun for a long time or something. It's it's, it's like sits and you know stews for a long time, mm-hmm. and it's Is spicy? delicious. Is there... No, it's not spicy. Okay. Not spicy. Have you tried? Often to find very any of this, heavy. Have you tried to find any of this food here, like in the states? I mean, not. Like... Yeah, I have. I found some good places in, in New York City. Okay. And in Chicago, yeah, there's a whole, there's a lot of good uh, Arabic restaurants in Chicago, definitely. And, I mean, even here in Colombia, Coffee mm-hmm. Zone is owned by two Palestinians. Mm, okay. So they have some good food there. Mm. Yeah, delicious. <laughs> and the coffee, too, is very, like Turkish coffee, very heavy and dark mm-hmm. um, with the sediment in the bottom. Oh, okay. And... Yeah, drinking tea and coffee is like a very important part of social life in Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, taking the time to sit down with people and yeah. have a cup of coffee. Coffee like breaks the late, are very like important. Like four o'clock or something, like the late afternoon kind of thing, or is it? Yeah, it just kind of depends. I mean, even in an orchestra rehearsal, like <laughs> I remember this is a, a cultural experience I learned too late, I think, because mm-hmm. I did hang out with people a lot, but. I am a busybody, and in the orchestra break, <laughs> I would be like tuning my timpani, or going to fix this, or checking my email, yeah, yeah. or you know, mm-hmm. helping a student with something. And I realized after a while that I was being totally rude because everyone went to the cafeteria in the school mm-hmm. and had coffee, yeah. and I was missing like, out on that. Yeah. yeah, and I was being rude by not visiting with those people. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's something I learned that I've tried to transfer to my life. Mm-hmm. As a whole, you yeah. know, is that it is really important to spend time with people. And even yeah. if you're busy, you can make time for that, you know, because yeah. it's important. And you'll always be busy and there will always be a to-do list. Right, but, sure. Yeah. But you hadn't internalized that yet. Yeah. It was hard for me. Mm. But I think I learned when I was there, especially with my Syrian friends, you know. And the, the conservatory would close at a certain time, too, and, like, you couldn't go back. Yeah. So that was also really good for me, too, I think. It was like calling friends and saying, what are we doing tonight, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or meeting people for dinner or coffee or, yeah. Was it generally safe there in terms of just, like, you getting out and about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I traveled alone all the time. Um, I took taxis by myself all the time. Mm-hmm. And I never felt threatened. I could feel how some people might feel threatened mm-hmm. a little bit yeah mostly because i got stared at a lot just because i looked different sure 
and I never wore, I always wore pants and long sleeve, t or at least my thing was always below the elbow, below the knee, but if you go into a more traditional or rural area, mm -hmm. um, you should really be covered. I never wore a hijab um, or the full burqa, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was always just pretty careful to cover up just to not get more stares <laughs> or comments. Yeah. So, yeah, I could see how that could bother people, but it didn't really bother me. It's just like, I just kind of got used to it and just ignored it. Mm -hmm. And my friends, my Jordanian friends, I would never feel that way around them ever. Mm -hmm. Very respectful. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I never felt there weren't... Sometimes you get security threats about going to specific places or areas mm -hmm. uh, from the U.S. government, and usually those places weren't places that I would be anyway, so... Yeah. Okay. I think it always kind of felt like a storm was coming to kind of go back to your original question about yeah, the Arab sure. Spring. Yeah. I think it always felt like there was something was rolling in, but mm. nothing bad ever happened. While you were there. Yeah. Nothing huge. Mm -hmm. So there were protests for sure as well. And that was what the U.S. Embassy would usually warn us from going against. There's going to be a protest. There's going to be a demonstration mm -hmm. downtown at noon. Don't go there. And I never did. I kind of wanted would you to, get those and I totally would have done it. How would you get those announcements? Or how email. would you know that? Okay. Email. Yeah. U.S. Embassy. I was signed up, like, through their list as an American living abroad. You can just do that on their website. Okay. I'm living in Jordan for this amount of time. Here's my emergency contact. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they would send emails. I still get those emails, actually. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but for like Syria or Israel I think just for that whole area they kind of warn porn people mm -hmm. so that's great yeah it's interesting the, um, so you now I what I was reading uh, when I was looking at your website mm -hmm. um, that the the orchestra is, doesn't exist anymore yeah so it died while I was there like basically it was being funded by the, the municipality okay of and, Amman of Amman okay. and the yeah. mayor changed a lot. <laughs> that seat changed quite a bit. Oh, who just who was in the seat? Yes. Okay. And if the mayor supported music, we would be getting our funding. funding. Yeah. Exactly. Even though we had a contract from the city, we wouldn't always get the money. Okay. So it was bad. I had been warned that it was bad before I got there mm -hmm. from people, Americans living in the orchestra, and said, you know, it's kind of going downhill, just so you know. Mm -hmm. We've been getting payments late and whatever. And I still was like, you know what? I can make it work. Mm -hmm. I want to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do it. So is that before So you I did. Went, so I was warned. That? Yeah. So okay. I, I knew that it was kind of going downhill financially. Mm -hmm. But when I was there, it was really frustrating. Because also they would pay people in hierarchy kind of too. Because they would pay us first because we were living abroad. Mm -hmm. And then they would pay full-time Jordanian musicians or Arab musicians and, the, and then Jordanian music. And it was hard for the director, I think, because he had to, uh, he was, everyone was complaining, obviously, and mm -hmm. he was trying to, you know, keep people there. And yeah. it was hard because I didn't have any money saved and I didn't have family that I could ask to lend money from. Yeah. I borrowed money from some people because we would get the payment late and we get half and we get the other half even later and mm -hmm. it was hard to pay rent. Yeah can't pay rent on a credit card. Right. So, yeah, that was really challenging and frustrating. But I knew I had been warned. I knew that they were doing as best they could. So 
but as as a musician in the orchestra, I, I it was so hard to watch, especially the Jordanians go through that. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of friends and I organized a petition to okay. try to get 5,000 signatures. And we would go to um, the souk or the market and we would try to get people to sign. We would talk to people and tell them about our orchestra and yeah. that it was closing and ask them to sign the petition. We also asked for signatures online. And it was really hard to get 5,000. I thought it would be super easy. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to, you know, the League of American Orchestras and, you know, lots of different organizations to share with their employees and, and their followers. It was still re- really hard to get 5,000. But we did, and we got all these beautiful messages from all around the world. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was really an empowering experience. And then we sent the petition to, like, the Queen and the yeah. Ministry of Culture and the Mayor and... Anyone big we could think, we tried to get in their hand. We printed it, we bound it, we took it to the palace of the king, mm. and all this stuff, and nothing happened. Yeah. So, you know, the last concert we had scheduled for the season, we still waited until the very last day. They waited to make an announcement until the very last day. Um, and then on that day, we still hadn't received any word. So someone had put together a slideshow, and they played... Um, Adagio for strings and oh, played this boy. slideshow. Oh. It was heart wrenching. Oh, it was so sad. Everyone yeah. in the orchestra was crying and hugging each other, and oh, it was awful. I, I can yeah. still they put the slideshow online. Sometimes I'll I haven't done that in a while, but watched it and I just you know oh, start God. crying. It's yeah. so sad. Yeah. However, so um most of the foreigners went home at this point because their contracts were not renewed for the orchestra, obviously, but some people stayed on as part-time teaching in the conservatory. Yeah. I couldn't do that because it's not a full-time salary, and as a foreigner, you couldn't work mm-hmm. unless you had a work visa, so um, there was no way. So it was an easy decision for you to get out Oh yeah. all the people who were there. Yeah, and I had a degree to go back to also, but I thought it was so sad that people who had trained to play these instruments that weren't in the classical Arabic orchestras, mm-hmm. what are they going to do? Yeah. There's nowhere they can go to play. So it didn't seem like anyone left to go to another orchestra that was Jordanian, like to another Arab country. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the expats did go home. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I did my research on, was like the life, the death, the birth, the life, and the death of the orchestra, and telling yeah. it through the eyes of the musicians. Yeah. So I went back and I did field work by interviewing everyone who was still there. Yeah. Looking at what they're doing, did a survey of. This is like a year later or something. A like year that? later. Okay. Yeah, a year after the closing, kind of retelling the story, but also um, looking at the state of the orchestra and maybe trying to find some answers of why it, why it didn't work. Yeah. You know, and part of that, part of my my thesis is that since we were funded by the municipality. Mm-hmm. It's not that it was corrupt, but it was not stable, and the yeah. Ministry of Culture is through the government usually. And that had a lot more stable funding. Yeah. So other Arabic, other Middle Eastern orchestras are funded by, mostly funded by the Ministry of Culture. And um, those orchestras are seem to be more stable and larger and mm-hmm. often better quality. Yeah. So, yeah, if anyone want, is listening and wants to le- read my thesis, feel free yeah. to get in touch. I will send that to you. Yeah. Um, but now the orchestra does exist under a new name, the Jordan 
what is it, Joe Orchestra? So it's like the Jordan National Orchestra, I think. Okay. And it's under private sponsorship now. Okay. Stable, as far as you know? Seems to be stable. Mm-hmm. How yeah, long has I don't it been think back they in? have full concert seasons. How long has it's it been back in? It seemed like maybe two years now. Okay. Yeah. And from what I've heard, I haven't caught up with people recently since I've been so busy, but um, the last I heard, it was going well, and they were doing different types of concerts and reaching different people and more people. Um, even though it wasn't a full, like, Masterworks concert season, they were still doing a lot of projects yeah. and playing a lot. So it's good. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so you, but in between and around this time, you've been, you were at Eastman and finishing up. Yeah. As you know. And um, I, what I was thinking about was um, your predecessor, Dr. Gaines, mm-hmm. um, also did her master's at Eastman. Mm-hmm. And I remember her telling me, and I, I wonder if your feeling was the same. She, I, I mean, that was under um, uh, John H. Beck, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I remember her saying that the thing, the thing she got the most out of was just the fact that you're around the hottest hot of hot shots in like throughout, like not just percussion, but just like violin and voice and piano, you know, everything. And she's like, that was actually, she got as much out of that mm-hmm. of just being around them. Yeah. As any, so I didn't know if that was. That is absolutely a huge thing for me too. I mean, I learned so much from. Professor Burrett in the percussion studio, mm. um, but I also yeah learned so much from just being around very excellent musicians, mm. and also learning that because I had not been in a conservatory environment before, and mm. Eastman's not technically a conservatory, but it is definitely um, you know a school of music. Yeah, and I th- kind of imagine a place like that being very competitive and kind of cutthroat Mm -hmm. and it was not like that at all and it might be like that within some studios but I thought the school in general and definitely in the percussion studio Mm -hmm. it's a very friendly competition you know everyone works really hard Mm -hmm. but most people understand the value of being a good person yeah and being cordial and making connections and Mm -hmm. spending time with people and making friends yeah <clears throat> so it was just a very healthy environment and one that is very motivating because you just want to do all these projects with these cool people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're constantly busy and, you know, everyone's always practicing. And right. So there's, it's never quiet and there's always people around and most of the time people are just great people to be around. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the environment of Eastman is very magical inspiring and motivating i miss that a lot you know yeah you get that here for sure in in a lot of ways but um being around at 24 7 Mm -hmm. in that school is really a magical thing yeah Mm -hmm. and you know we have several people on faculty from eastman too so that's been kind of cool to reconnect with them Mm -hmm. or connect with them sure um and talk about our experiences but yeah it was awesome being there uh, was uh, how, how did you uh, hate the weather or really hate the weather? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I liked the snow actually, and I think oh, yeah? I lived really close to campus the whole time that I was there. Mm-hmm. So you're most of the time the... that I was there, so I could just put my snow boots and my snow coat on, mm-hmm. and like never have to worry about what I'm gonna wear because okay. it's just like every day <laughs> I'm gonna wear this huge coat and yeah. these boots. <laughs> uh-huh. 
and you know trudge across you know trudge one block right through it that was kind of fun i never had to clean up my car Um, however my last semester there i was my last semester in residence there i was teaching adjunct at mansfield university in pennsylvania just across the border so it was like a two-hour drive there Mm -hmm. and back and i remember like the last visit i did i was like wow to mansfield yeah i was like oh my gosh this is the first time i haven't like i haven't seen snow on the road i've never seen the road completely clear yeah it's horrible yeah so those drives were always real rough is it is it um is it mountainous in that Mm -hmm. spot okay yeah not like you know crazy crazy mountainous but really beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah really really beautiful with snow with snow yeah yeah definitely snow Lots of stuff. <laughs> so I didn't like the cold, and I think the thing that got to me the most is probably the gray weather. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see the sun in Rochester for like six months most yeah. of the time, and people get you can little... get pretty down. Yeah, <laughs> some people have sun lamps and stuff. Uh, so yeah, I didn't like that, <laughs> but I did like the snow or like the massive amounts of snow. I thought it was really pretty and kind of fun. Yeah, I miss that. But you were, but so you, you know, month four of snow, you weren't like, all right, I get it. Right. We get snow. Right. <laughs> it was cool and it was December. Now it's April. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, spring break. I remember I stayed there spring break, not last year now, but the year before. Uh-huh. Because um, my recital was the next week, so I was practicing and. I got, I don't know, it was like late May, or late, late March, sorry, or yeah. early April. We got 12 inches of snow. <laughs> it's like spring break? Yeah. What? It's insane. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> it's just the way it is, though. It is. Yeah. yeah. I guess you know that pretty well, too. Kind um, of. Not as bad. Uh, Long Island is much more temperate. Yeah, um, that's true. So we definitely didn't. Yeah, we'd see what, how much snow there was in, like, Buffalo or Syracuse or something like that. Well, and, all that lake effect snow. Right, of course. Yeah. That makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely never had what they have, like, the six feet of snow. Like, Buffalo yeah. got, like, 100, something like a ridiculous amount. Yeah. And I, I'm i like, I don't... You can't even fathom yeah, like, yeah. how to exist in that much snow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, no, I, I was, you know, where I was, I, I think most, we got, like, two feet. And that was, you know, that's still a significant amount, but it's not five or eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and like all those areas, it's, they know that snow is coming as opposed to, you know, when I was in the South, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's when it's like, oh my gosh, snow, like battle everybody up because yeah. you can't drive because everyone's crazy. Right. Uh, you know, up there, as you know, it's like, they'll, they clear the road because like they know they have enough snow plows, like they can clear the roads. Right. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Exactly. I mean, here it's like, shut down school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, my recital last year, I had to cancel my recital. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, I feel so wimpy. <laughs> I felt horrible. Well, it wasn't your fault. <laughs> no, but it was like, I can totally drive in this. I yeah, lived in yeah. Rochester. Yeah. But their, the school of music was like, you should probably cancel because people won't come. And we don't want to put people at risk. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, it's really your decision, but we highly recommend you you cancel it. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's fine. But I thought it was funny because I was like, oh, my gosh. This is like nothing compared to what we get in Rochester. Um, mm-hmm. I want to ask about um, 
the podcast, actually, mm, that you guys mm-hmm. do. Um, the genesis of it, how, how, it's go- yeah. how it's going as far as you know. Like- sure. Yeah, so in June of last year, uh, Casey Cangelosi called me with an idea. I met I only met him the year prior because he played. He was our guest artist at, at Midwest Clinic. Okay. Um, so I got to know him when he was a guest artist here with us. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he was here like in December. Yep, in right December, he and he traveled to Chicago mm-hmm. with us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we connected really well. I really enjoyed, you know, working with him. Mm-hmm. And he called me in June and said, I have this idea. Mm-hmm. Start this podcast. Um, trying to gather like a group of people that are like similar, but also have different things to offer and mm-hmm. live in different places and um, so basically, and, and so I was like, that sounds great. I think the percussion world definitely needs more stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So it's Casey, myself. Casey's mm-hmm. the host. Myself is a co-host with Laurel Black, mm-hmm. who lives, um, uh, who's married to Casey. Yeah. And lives in um, in Virginia with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's a percussionist and a pianist, yeah. and she's she's got all kinds of things that she offers. She yeah. has a background in theater as mm-hmm. well. She's great. And then Ben Charles, who is at uh, Florida FIU, FIU, sorry, Florida Atlantic Atlantic, University. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, just knows a ton about percussion and is very Mm -hmm. personable and knows a lot of people. And so it's a good mix of people. And then we have a, the three three of us do segments every week. Not Mm -hmm. every week. We're kind of changing that up a little bit. But Mm -hmm. my segment uh, my segment is uh, usually on a current event or something that's going on in percussion. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's tied to my work with Rhythm Scene, the mm-hmm. PAS publication. Uh, ben is always a historical something, and we usually try to relate them to the guests that we have on mm-hmm. as well. And then um, Laurel's is usually on something that she's reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then related to the field of percussion. Yeah. Usually that sparks some really good conversation. And then we have a guest on every week. So mm-hmm. we've done about 40 episodes now. And we've had a lot of different guests just ranging in all different areas of percussion and different mm-hmm. parts of the world. And it's been fun to, to meet new people because we all try to contribute to finding guests and scheduling guests. Yeah. So, you know, roughly I've contributed a fourth. Mm-hmm. And so the other three-fourths are Often people, sometimes people that I know, we do know some of the same people, but often yeah. people I don't know. So it's been really fun to meet new people mm-hmm. through the through the podcast. And I think it's going well. It's a video podcast. Mm-hmm. We're on Google Hangouts. Um, but we get some feedback that people wanted to be able to listen in, the, in their car. And they can meet exactly from, <laughs> from people like you. And I totally told yeah. Casey that. And so in response to that, we figured out how to get it on iTunes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's been going well. Um, I don't you know. Feedback? We haven't gotten. I don't know. I could check with Casey about that. But when we do check in about that, um, I think Casey probably gets the most feedback about it, and he s- seems, for the most part, to think that um, things are going well. Mm-hmm. We are. We always try to stay funny and light, and mm-hmm. um, and not have conversations move go on too long. You know, sure, sometimes. Yeah. Um, and also to keep the guests talking a lot, so keep everything mm-hmm. relevant to them and. And, and keep them involved in the conversation and talking. And I think we're getting a lot better at that, too, as we're getting into the later episodes. I think it has a more of a flow to it than it did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the YouTube views, you can see those on YouTube. And, you know, the earlier episodes have a lot more. It seems like people, a lot of people wanted to start from the beginning, or mm-hmm. those, of course, have been posted longer. Yeah. But, you know, I think we have 
somewhat of a following. And even if people are just interested in certain guests, I think that's cool that they can go there and it's as a resource. Even yeah. even Abby the other day, um, I think I mentioned Abby right. uh, earlier. She direct the large ensemble, ensemble coordinator. Yeah. yeah, we were playing at a, a Mark st- Apple. She did her undergrad. She did her undergrad here, yes. Yeah. And she and I were playing a Mark Applebaum duo together. And mm-hmm. so I'd mentioned, oh, we just had Mark on the on the podcast. And so mm-hmm. the other day, um, she's like, oh, I was just listening to, you know, your podcast about with Mark Applebaum. Mm-hmm. So that's cool that that's almost kind of a, kind of similar to the TED Talks. I think it's rare that everyone goes through every single TED Talk. But if there's sure. a, especially including TEDx, but if there's a certain guest or topic you're interested in, it's a good resource for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I the um. I, I've certainly when I've listened to it, I, I've I told you I'm like now that it's audio, um, I've started to, I'm starting to catch up. Yeah. Um, because the I would I, I would watch the first couple of video ones and it, it was fine, it was good, but I'm like, I I was but I know that there's you don't actually need to watch it. Yeah. Because it's not. Yeah, you guys aren't like doing necessarily clinics. Right. You're ta- you're you're having conversations. Right. And so I would I, I remember I asked um at PASIC, I because well, I was uh, I saw Luke's Laurel and Casey were both mm-hmm. there. And I said, Have you guys thought about putting these things on audio? Because it's so much easier like to to listen for me. Yeah. At least and I'm sure I'm not I can't be alone on that. Yeah. Um uh, it, that it's a lot of times I make I'll make notes in my phone about um, some of it's like the books that Laurel's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she's referenced a couple of TED talks that I've listened to. Some of the some of the works. That oh, you guys that's talk cool. About. Yeah. So like it, it's good because it's like kind of keeping me connected in, yeah. in ways that I'm. It, it like I, because I'm forcing myself to kind of to listen to them as a as like a like a historical thing too. Yeah, as a resource as well. It's yeah. been like oh I should probably check that out. Yeah. You know, so um, I hope that other people are doing that, too. I hope so, too. Um, yeah. Because I'm curi- I'd am i be curious to know what, you know, like, the current undergrads, at least, like, podcasting's not a big deal. Like, at least a knowledge of podcasting should be more or less second nature because they all have phones, most of them, and they all have, like, a little... But it's hard to see. It's hard to tell if they're interested in it. And, yeah. and I, you know, we're trying to reach, at least with Rhythm Scene, you know, we're trying to target a very specific audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah, younger people, often undergraduate right. percussionists or graduate, you know, just student percussionists. Yeah. And, yeah, sometimes I'm like, you know, I reference it, and I, and I don't want to push my own personal projects on, with, on my students. Mm-hmm. So I kind of... You know, I will remind them of it or I'll forward them, you know, something when it comes out. Mm-hmm. But I try not to push it on them. Yeah. I don't want them to ever feel like, oh, I have to listen to all these episodes because Miss Arnes might ask me something about it. You know, I don't want them to feel oh, yeah. that way. Sure. So I try not to mention it too much with them. But sometimes I'm like, not many of them are like, oh, I listened to the podcast and I mm-hmm. thought this, you know, and I always ask for feedback and I never really get anything. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if it's something with that generation yeah, um, and also with the communication too, like maybe they are digesting it, but it's so normal to just digest it rather right. than to think about it, think about it, or yeah. give feedback about it, or talk yeah. about it. You know, yeah. I because that's often been something I've thought about. Just percussion culture-wise, is there's been a lot to me of things that are cool. And then, but then, if you were to ask the next question, nothing. You know, yeah, like, right. That we 
we're not doing enough, just generally, of, of actually thinking really about things we're listening to. Some of it's, you know, when you hear new works, mm-hmm. and you're like, and you hear something, it's like, oh, it's cool. And I'm like, all right, do, do you want to hear it again? Right. Mumble. <laughs> right, can we have a conversation about this, right? Yeah. Or, Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's, sometimes I fear that there's just so much information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's hard to sort it out into what is quality. You know, I see yeah. that a lot with YouTube videos, right? Mm. And often I can find, I mean, admittedly, you know, I'm searching for students, for pieces with students, or I'm trying to show them, you know, oh, you know, check this out. Like, right. here are three pieces that would be good for you. Let's pick one. Yeah. And rather than, like, shuffling through the large thing of CDs to try to find one, mm-hmm. I just Google it real quick and find yeah. it on YouTube. And sometimes it's like hard to tell right away. And sometimes I'll sift through three or four videos and then yeah. it's like, oh, there's, it's not good. And sometimes the so, performance is total garbage. Exactly. And yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. So I, I really appreciate what Vic Firth is doing with that. Yeah. You know, they're trying to create a video archive of high quality performances knowing that students are constantly going to YouTube to find reference recordings, and often they're horrible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's bad that high school students are putting their performances online because it's fun and it's something for them to work towards yeah. and they can show their friends, but it should not be necessarily be a reference right. for college students. You or, know? you know, that they just, someone will just click on the first video mm-hmm. that comes up without taking it through like yeah this is like and then you and then you have to combat against the a first listen which is tough because frequently you get a first listen will just can ruin our or make a piece yeah for certain people totally and you're like i was one thing i thought about as as kind of an alternate question similar to this is have you had any are there any um you don't have to name well you could if you want yeah i was thinking about like a piece that uh, a student at is like, I really want to play blank, and you're like, <sighs> Yeah, right. I feel like I have that reaction sometimes, and I'm trying to think of a piece. I mean, th- this is not because they're bad pieces, but sure. because when you go to judge high school stuff, you get and you probably know this too, mm-hmm. you just like get overwhelmed by the same breaking piece all yeah. the time. So, yeah. like, everyone's always playing land. Oh, yeah. Everyone's always playing <laughs> a cricket saying and set the sun. And I think those are both wonderful pieces, and I'm so glad that high school students and college students are excited to play them yeah. and think they're, like, listening to them, you mm-hmm. know. But I don't think I would recommend them to my college students because I'm so tired of hearing them, yeah. you know. And hearing just an assortment of. Exactly. Or the the one I always think of. You know, when you're you're listening to something and, and you immediate first thought is, why are you playing this piece? Because you can't. Yeah. <laughs> not that not that you shouldn't. You can't do you it can't right now. <laughs> do it right. Exactly. It was yeah. Was, like I had an experience yeah. with that a few weeks ago. Yeah. And so that did piece, I. and I was like, oh my gosh. <sighs> it's like, I do know. you know that I have the score? I know. I can tell what you're supposed to do. Ooh. And it's not this. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, the, the piece that would make me laugh about um, with uh, talking with uh, Dr. Gaines about was um, not it's not a bad piece, but it was time. Yeah. Because 
she'd be like, I just have to order another C3. Because it's got like... Oh, yeah. Because there's this part where it's like, basically, the part is, the music is asking you to break the, the Yeah, bar. right. And every time she'd be like, I have to order another bar. Yeah. Someone wants to play it. Yeah. <laughs> That's She's funny. already basically pre-ordered right. the replacement bar because <laughs> she knows it's coming. Yeah. Um, just, well, and I think, you know, I, I think going back to the high school stuff, I think we have like kind of a problem in Missouri because we require the students to play off the Misha list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have all the respect in the world for Misha, but um, there's a lot of great stuff out there <laughs> that's, that's not on the list. Right. And they, I think and we're one of a to... few states that don't allow pieces that aren't on the list. And I think that it's great that the list exists yeah. because... You know, if I was a band director and I was trying to find a bassoon solo right. or a flute know. solo, I yeah. wouldn't know. So yeah. it'd be nice to have a recommended list coming from, you know, that's been put together by professionals. But yeah. for it to be required, it's a bummer. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot more stuff out there that they it, could be playing. I, and I know that there, I, at least there have been pushes. There was a push maybe before you got here mm -hmm. where they actually did like update it. Yeah. Pretty considerably. Yeah. Um, there's some good stuff on the list. Yeah. But there's a lot of good stuff that's not on the list. And things that are being written right now. Right. That don't have a chance to get on for another three years. You yeah. know? Yeah, so it's it's I think it's tricky. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, um what's been your experience I mean you can we I'll preface this by saying this may get cut out. Okay. All right. Um, but what has been your experience um, taking uh, job auditions as someone with a job? Yeah. What's been that? What's that been like? Yeah, it's been really hard mm -hmm. um, because time-wise, you know, you don't know, you don't really have control of when an interview would be. Sure. And. So it doesn't, you can't plan for it. You know, mm -hmm. you can't really, it's hard to fit into your schedule. Yeah. And it takes a lot of preparation, mm -hmm. you know, mental, mentally. And, and it's not even the same stuff that you would be, that you're normally working on. Exactly. Either. Yeah. So. Typically not the same at all. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a lot of extra practice time to fit in into what you're already doing. And I'm definitely the type of person, admittedly, that takes on too much all the time. So I'm usually. <laughs> I looked pretty at your busy. summer schedule and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Usually a lot. pretty busy. And so then trying to add that in and do a good job with it is very, very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. um, it's also hard. It's been hard for me, and I'm sure I could get used to this more if I decided to take another interview. But mm -hmm. at first, I just felt horrible. Like, I felt like a traitor or something. To, to you know? Yeah. yeah. And it, I know it's just professionally what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um Sometimes for leverage and sometimes, you know, look, you know, looking for another position. But I think it's important to, at least for me right now, it's important to further my career. Mm -hmm. And sometimes getting out of an entry-level position into um, a promotable position, you have to get another offer yeah. or you have to find another place. Yeah. Luckily for me, um, I got another offer and I'm very happy about that and very excited about that. So it makes it all worth it. Mm -hmm. But the actual experience was pretty awful and not to say I didn't enjoy my experience at that school sure. those schools yeah um but it was it was just really hard kind of emotionally to separate those two things and treat it very professionally and mm -hmm. 
you know, respect the school that you're interviewing at and respecting the school that you work at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a very professional thing, and everyone gets that. And But did it you, was hard for me to learn that this did, year. Did you feel like you could um, I, I want, I, take more risks? I feel like is what, I don't know if that's what I mean. But I, because of the fact that you have a job. Have a job. Totally. You know, the last one I took, I, you know, now being in this position for two years, I know what... I like and don't like and what I'm looking for I understand the mm-hmm. right questions to ask mm-hmm. because I've experienced them rather than prepping as a student yeah getting advice from my mentors and they're saying well you should ask about x y and z mm-hmm. and now I still might ask x y and z but I really understand why I'm asking mm-hmm. because I've experienced it yeah so I, I think I can make I can ask a lot more educated questions. And I did that in the last interview. And they actually came back and kind of were like, wow, you drilled us too. And it was like, but it was really important that I did that because you are interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you, especially if you already have a job. Can you... can you give an example of... uh, Let's... uh, Just a a question that you you asked this time around that you certainly did not ask a couple years ago. Yeah. Um... I'm just thinking of like the level of a question level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely am very interested in like graduate assistantships because that is very, and I think based on like things that you realize that maybe aren't common at other schools Mm -hmm. that you have really good. And for here, for example, we have three fully funded graduate assistantships with Mm -hmm. stipends and health insurance. Mm -hmm. Like, and these are masters, too. Yeah. Yeah. And only one is through my area, but the other two are percussion performance, so I still am able to utilize them and definitely teach them and work with them. Yeah. And having them as the sole percussion faculty <laughs> member yeah. um, is very, very valuable, and it's easier to recruit students with a full ride. Mm. And I didn't realize that my um, – friends and colleagues in other schools even in other state schools don't necessarily have that yeah it is very rare that we have this yeah so that's a big question you know what you know not only do you have assistantships but what do they cover yeah and is it guaranteed that you have them is there any other area that you could put a percussionist and still have them come for performance even if they're not working um in your in your department yeah or they're like in band but they're not but yeah. they're in percussion right Yep. So they have a way to be mm-hmm. working, essentially, yeah. and get, get the pay. And right. I think another big question, too, is, like, what does the percussion... Well, what does the percussion budget look like, and what is your... Um, what are opportunities for grants um, at the university level, but also just through, um, through the music department, you mm-hmm. know? Because I think finding an institution that will support you and knowing that you have these resources is really helpful. And I've seen a lot of friends be in dead-end positions, be not just dead-end positions, but get very frustrated because I don't have any money to buy anything. Yeah. Right? And it's like, I don't have that issue. And mm. I realized that that's extraordinary. You're pretty lucky. Yeah. 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 So I think it's really important. And I think at a bigger school also, it's, it's easier because at a research one institution like we are, we can, there are a lot of university-wide grants that we can fit into mm. and, and apply for, which maybe you couldn't do at a smaller school. I don't know. Or, mm. you know, or, yeah. or <laughs> vice versa. Just, it doesn't, just not the, sometimes money just doesn't exist, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, what's been, uh, well, uh, this is kind of related, so I, and I, I feel like I'm eating it back. But what's been, what's it been like to be here um, this past year since mm-hmm. Mizzou has been national news mm-hmm. since August? <laughs> mm-hmm. What's it been like to be teaching here? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes we feel isolated or you can feel isolated when you just stay in your department and like don't necessarily participate in um, maybe campus-wide activities or meetings or things that were happening. And so Mm -hmm. I felt like sometimes I felt a little bit isolated. And and, But also during all of this, when everything was happening in the fall, Mm You know, as a member of this community, I felt an obligation to really pay attention mm-hmm. and to attend meetings when I could and to talk with students about it if I, if they wanted to mm-hmm. and have an open dialogue about it. You mm-hmm. know, I think it was really important to not, it was really easy to be isolated, but I think making a concerted effort to participate in the discussion and really educate myself on what was happening um, and if I had any sway as a faculty member to, to use that to help mm-hmm. make sure things are going in the right direction. And, you know, I always just looked up to one of my mentors, Stephanie Shonikin, in, in the, black, the chair of the Black Studies Department and mm-hmm. who, who also um, has a home in the School of Music and, and such a good person that I kind of kept going back to her Facebook page. That was kind of became my news because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew that she had the absolute best intentions and was emerging as a leader in this whole situation. So I was like, I want to follow her, (laughs) Mm -hmm. kind of. So, but of course this semester when everything came, whenever, you know, not, not that these were, these events were or not, or were not related to what happened in the fall. I know there are a lot of factors that came into play in this. Um, But yeah, the, we were in the news this semester for the budget cuts. Yeah. You had 5% budget cut, hiring freeze, and that was really hard. Um, and I think I felt that the most among my colleagues mm-hmm. um, and myself. The morale was so low. Mm-hmm. And we lost a lot of people this year, and I think uh, we might have lost those people otherwise, but I think it would have been easier to retain them if the morale wasn't so low. If mm-hmm. people were on the fence about choosing another career or moving to another school um, or also being able to provide counter offers to keep them here yeah um, that all of this helped us lose them unfortunately so morale was incredibly low among the faculty at least the school of music faculty and my friends and colleagues Mm -hmm. and that was really hard yeah. It was really, really, really hard. And I think the students felt that, too. They knew it was happening. And they're bummed to lose some of their favorite teachers, you know. Yeah. But I think I think we hit rock bottom already, and I think we'll build. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll search as well. I'm sure we'll get great people. I'm sure these budget cuts will eventually go away. I'm sure we'll be able to take our building project for New School of Music building mm-hmm. to the state legislature eventually and start to break ground, to break ground for a new... School of Music facility, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, I, I don't. First of all, I don't see how it could get any worse. <laughs> and I think, um, I think the people that are left, the people that still work here, especially in the new leadership mm-hmm. of the university and yeah. then the the MU system, mm-hmm. 
have the power in their hands to do good work. And I think all eyes are on who's going to be the next president. And I'm sure because of that, we're going to get a really great person in there who's going to lead us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So while it feels horrible, it also could be a very good turning point for the university. Yeah. I remembered the last thing. Sure. (laughs) Which is, uh, I'm looking at um, kind of your schedule. I, 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 for sure notice that you have, you just, you have a ton of things that you're doing, you know, like solo projects, um, you get like a number of chambers, a couple of chamber groups. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I'm, my, and my curiosity was, is, do you, is, are you're someone, it seems like who you like to have, you either like to, or you just are someone who has a lot mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I do you feel like this is a just going to be the way it is for you, or do you think of like going ahead? Like I have this energy and I'm young and I'm ready to go, and so like let's just do a billion things. Where, yeah. Where, where, where's your? I'm yeah, just I think that's Yeah, I think that's a really good way to describe it. And I think I've always been like that, mm-hmm. so it just feels natural for me. It's easier for me to say yes and then just juggle the things and deal with it myself, mm-hmm. rather than to say no and like be bummed that I miss feel like I'm missing out even if I'm not Mm -hmm. so I've gotten a lot better about saying no to things Mm -hmm. um if you ask my fiance he would probably disagree (laughs) but uh someone who does who does performing for a for a career right I know (laughs) like you need to slow down I know person teaching full-time yeah (laughs) but I've also you know this I I would like to slow down and you know have a family at some point Mm -hmm. um and so I don't think I can sustain quite as many projects as I am juggling right now. Mm-hmm. But I like it right now. You mm-hmm. know, it could be a little bit too much. I might need to get rid of one or two things. But I think mm-hmm. also staying here um, in the tenure track position I have now um, will help me to feel like I have a home a little bit more rather yeah. than looking what's the next thing, what's the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I can really focus my efforts here a little bit more and um, look at what projects are very what, what I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And those projects help me. Um, I think, you know, you're a university professor. Mm-hmm. I think if you ask any university percussion professor, mm-hmm. I can at least say percussion because we are percussionists, but, you know, you could fill up 100% of your time with the job, you yeah. know? It's just endless. Yeah. And I think <laughs> some of these other projects are my break from that, and they're a way for me to... Um, get out and perform with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's such a great, amazing thing about our job, too, is because it's so, there are so many opportunities and lots of projects and students to work with, and but it is 24 7. Yeah. And these projects and help you, me. Or you can make it that. Yeah. Very easily. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm realizing is that you can also not make it that and still mm-hmm. do a really good job. At yeah. least that's what I'm experimenting with right now. Right. And leave for a week and trust, you know, organize well, mm-hmm. um, but go play for a week. And I find that really refueling for me because mm-hmm. if I'm here too long, I get burnt out. Mm-hmm. So I experimented with that this year and it was really helpful, you know, and I could trust the grad students to do some of the teaching and I could rearrange lessons and know mm. that the students would continue to practice, hope that the students would continue to practice and stay sure. on track. Yeah. Um, and then I came back with a lot more energy. So mm-hmm. I think it was good 
it's good for them and it's good for me to stay active and in the field and keep doing the projects that creatively fulfill me. Do when you're doing all this other stuff, do you feel like it's because there's a there's a there is a way a thought process where it could be you're doing this to for like your job Mm -hmm. versus you're doing it because you want to do it. You Mm -hmm. know, like in terms of you're thinking about like what do I need to do to to get promoted? Blah blah blah. Mm Um, do you feel like any there's any of that pressure, or is this all you feel like for you? It's just this is your internal, this is your head pressure. Well, it's up like, until right now, sure, yeah, yeah, it's I know been, it's changed. yeah, because none of none of that really. I mean, my job was I'm I'm teaching professor, I'm an mm. assistant teaching professor, yeah, and so my job is to teach. You know, eighty percent teaching, twenty percent service. Yeah, um, and so most of what I do doesn't count towards my job anyway sure. yeah so I, I think being a student and being interested in playing with a lot of different people and doing things that aren't required mm-hmm. taught me to do that and I you yeah. know you see students who don't do that and that's fine mm-hmm. but sometimes I would get frustrated with those students because it was like you know I feel like I'm picking up the slack for things you know because mm-hmm. just because it's not required doesn't mean that it's not a part of the job that you should do it even if you're not getting paid for it. Sure. And I think that that mentality has helped me because now I see all of those things not as extra money or, um, you know, something that is going to count towards tenure. Yeah, but it's like something that creatively and artistically and socially fulfills me and Mm -hmm. that's very valuable to me. Yeah. So if it counts towards tenure now, woohoo, that's great, you know. I'm sure some of it will and some of it won't. Mm-hmm. I might have to make decisions based on that, sort of to pick and choose, and mm-hmm. the tenure process could have an effect on that. But yeah, well, we'll if see. you wanted to, yeah, because it's. I think you can. I've seen a couple different ways of thinking about it from some other colleagues who have some who have been like, you know, I have to do like, and I know that I think about my wife and like she's like she needs to get publications, you know, this that that spot. Um, but I also know that I've, I know some other colleagues who had tenure track positions who were like, you know what, I'm just gonna. It's like I know I have a job for this amount of time. I'm gonna still do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if it counts, fine. If it doesn't, fine. Mm-hmm. You know what? And if I don't do, and if I'm not doing this at the end, that's also fine. Mm-hmm. And I, and it, it feels like you could. The general you mm-hmm. can go, any way on that. Yeah. Um, that, and so I, I think of it in that guise, for yeah. you at least. Right, right, right. That that's... Yeah, because it's not, I mean, it's not like I wouldn't maybe entertain the idea of a performing career if that... Opportunity presents ...was off. an option, right? Yeah. I know that that's hard, but... Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like to keep options open, and I think for me, um, I kind of need a combination of teaching and playing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like having a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's a lot of both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, that's what I, I was, because again, I, when I was looking at your like, stuff, what? Is she I was crazy? Like, oh my God. Because I, I typically, uh, speaking personally, I get the summers and I'm usually so burned out. Yeah. That I just, all I want to do is like some practicing and then I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> so, so That's how I'm feeling right now. I mean, even as you came in, I was like, I'm trying to, you know, pack to leave for the summer and I'm mm-hmm. like, dragging my feet on everything because I'm so burnt out, you know. Yeah. But I also think that getting on the road and um, 
I've got a lot of stuff, but it's not, um, it's spaced out well, I think, and I think it'll be rejuvenating. Great. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. A huge thank you to Megan Arns for giving up her time to talk to me. I really appreciated it. And I look forward to seeing what the future brings for her at Mizzou. And now we get to raves. My movie rave this week is the original version of Wuthering Heights from 1939, starring Laurence Olivier, Merle Oberon, and David Niven. I had to read this book in high school, and I really liked it. And I actually just reread it last month, and it was still very good. I caught the movie for the first time when the American Film Institute did its 100 Years 100 Movies documentary series that began in 1998 and lasted for about 10 years of documentaries after that. The movie showed up on the list for the best movies, as well as the best romances, the best actors, etc. After rewatching it this past week, I still think it holds up really well for an older movie. The acting is pretty solid, and the ending love scene is still very emotional. One brief aside, like the 1937 movie The Good Earth, based on a famous novel by Pearl S. Buck, the movie only covers the first half of the book. I guess Hollywood felt those movies were long enough. I mean, who knows? At least, unlike The Good Earth, English actors are playing English roles, rather than European actors playing Asian roles. Hooray, Hollywood! My book recommendation this time is Joe DiMaggio, The Hero's Life, by Richard Ben Kramer, published in 2000. The tagline of this book should be, You thought you knew the legend, now here's the whole story. This book came out about a year after DiMaggio died, and through exhaustive interviews, Kramer portrays a complicated figure, someone who was one of the most famous baseball players and the most private persons ever who was a famous sportsman. DiMaggio was someone who loved playing the hero with a capital H, and he was someone for whom it was not good enough to be just good or even great. He had to be perfect. And Richard Ben Kramer sets the scene for what that striving perf for perfection meant for his family, his friends, his baseball team, his country, and even for Italians. Oh, and he also married Marilyn Monroe at the height of her fame. In addition to all of that, DiMaggio had indirect mafia connections, enjoyed as a famous person his fair share of women, he was a heavy drinker also. Things that, if sports writers knew this back in the day, they sure never mentioned it. A more recent example of this type of book, related to a sports figure, is Jeff Perlman's 2012 book, Sweetness, The Enigmatic Life of Walter Payton. He was another sports figure who came across when he was alive as genial, popular, and happy, but was a much more complicated person than was portrayed as he was alive.
One last note about the author, Richard Ben Kramer. His most famous book is What It Takes, which is about the 1988 presidential election between George H.W. Bush and Michael Dukakis. It's a doorstop of a book that is considered by many political observers to be the greatest single volume about American politics ever written. I have not yet read that. Hopefully soon. And for song this week, Let's Groove by Earth, Wind, and Fire. This was the first Earth, Wind, and Fire song I ever remember hearing, which I got to know because someone in my family, and I believe it was my brother Paul, owned the 45. This song has all the great elements of Earth, Wind, and Fire's music, including groove, horn lines, amazing vocal work, the usual things. My favorite part of this song is right at about the middle point when the opening computerized vocal line comes back in. The dow, the boogie down, down, or bone down. That spot. When it comes back in, it's one of my favorite moments in all of music. One brief note about the video for this song. It came out right in the early days of music videos, and it is spectacularly dated. I recall showing this video to one of my students years ago, soon after I'd discovered it, and his response summed it all up. He said, wow, there was a lot of cocaine going around back then. Thanks again for listening to episode three. As usual, check out the links for the show at the iTunes page for this episode, as well as at my website, PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast. Be on the lookout for my blog regarding this podcast, also at my website, which should be posting in a few days. I look forward to talking with you the next time when my guest will be Jason Keeley from University of Texas A&M Kingsville. So see you then.